Hey everyone, welcome to California Nation. I'm your host, Brian Anderson. On today's episode, I sit down with Travis Allen. He's the fiery Republican looking to lead the California GOP. He has a decent shot at winning the chairman's race, which will be decided at the party's convention in exactly one month. At a time when many Republicans want to distance themselves from President Donald Trump, Allen is calling for a full embrace. You won't want to miss this conversation. But we begin today with a look at the toll the campfire took on the town of Paradise. All right, enjoy the show. We are not going to have a circus here. I appreciate the president's tweet when he thanked me. Can you please hug me? (laughs) California's leaders are in open defiance of federal law. You know what, everybody? They never thought we could do it. It's a rainy day in California, and fire season is months away. But the state is still processing the human and financial devastation of the campfire, which took the lives of 86 people. PG&E is filing for bankruptcy, and the long process of cleanup and rebuilding has barely begun. Alyssa Hodenfield worked with a team of reporters and editors at the Bee last month to produce a documentary on the fire. It's appropriately titled, When Paradise Became Hell. You can check our show notes for more information on how to watch the full documentary. And I spoke with Alyssa this week to hear more about it and give our listeners a preview. It was like hell on earth. County 13 is bad. Hey guys, walk towards the left. The documentary is about the campfire and it uh, is basically journalists from the Sacramento Bee explaining how they covered it, what it was actually like to be up there because most people, when there's a fire happening, you flee from it, you go away. And journalists do the opposite and go into it. And so most people don't know what that experience is like. So it was really important to get that first-hand experience from the journalist and from the sheriff. We came in through the backside on Pence, so um, it looked pretty big, but we didn't really know the magnitude when we were going up there. Immediately, once we get into town, I mean, everywhere you go, it's on fire. You can't really see anything. I mean, you can't even see the next hillside, but you could just tell that right away that this was chaos trying to get out. You would see cars on the side of the road that had been burned over. It was like a movie set, like where cars are crashed into poles, cars are crashed against each other, they're crushed. I knew it was bad when I saw a CHP cruiser with its airbags deployed, just sitting there in this canyon with a bunch of burned cars all around it. Bulldozer tracks going through the middle of the road where they had actually pushed the cars off to make room to get people out. Paradise was such a limited and difficult place to get out of. There's only four main arteries out of the town, and because the fire moved so fast, it forced so many people onto the roads and they couldn't get out. That's actually what made me want to do the documentary was because I was going through hours and hours of drone footage and editing it down to make a three-minute video, and it just didn't seem to do it justice. You know, he was out there with the drone, and it was just mass destruction, and to see it on that level. I think that was just really powerful. And for our listeners, if they're closing their eyes, just picturing the drone overhead, what are they looking at? I mean, nothing. I mean, it's just 
all ash and all debris and maybe there's a few structures standing. It looks post-apocalyptic, honestly, because there's no one there. There's nothing there. It looks like a bomb dropped. It really does. What I was telling everybody was that homes that are standing are the exception. That's what I saw over the days that I was up there. Homes and buildings that are standing are the exception. Walk our listeners through the title and how you guys came up with that and why it was a living hell. Oh, yeah. Um, the title honestly came pretty naturally. I think Jason and I were just sitting there talking about, I mean, the town is called Paradise. So for a title, I mean, Paradise became hell. It literally became hell because you think of hell, you think of flames, you think of mass destruction, you think of the worst possible thing that could happen to you. And that's what happened in Paradise. Paradise literally became hell for these people. And she literally said she was running from this tornado of fire with her cat for eight hours. We hid behind rocks. We hid behind a bench. We hid behind cars. I was watching the fire as it moved. And um, as it moved, we, we moved. There's a few mobiles standing, and then the room that I took refuge in, it was standing. She got inside the shelter. She ripped the drapes off of the windows so that she could stay warm, and they both drank water out of a little plastic um, container for two days. And emergency vehicles going by couldn't hear my screams. I kept going outside, help, help. And nobody heard her till finally her son um, contacted the police, and they found her there. I caught up with his car and, and knocked on his window and said, I'm the one you're looking for, I believe. I think a lot of those pets saved their owners' lives because all she could talk about was her cat and how she wanted to save that cat. I would just like to say to the Sheriff's Department of Paradise, thank you so much for saving me. And I just, I'm so grateful that you did and that you found me because you saved my cat too. This is the deadliest wildfire in California history. When you hear that, what enters your mind? I, mean, I think it's hard to wrap your head around. I, th I think it is because you hear 86 people and you compare that, you can see there's graphs out there with death tolls from previous fires and the worst ones don't even come close to the toll of the campfire. So I think seeing it in that sense, it was like something went horribly, horribly wrong here. And this was just, something that California's never seen before. On a personal level for you, why is this documentary so important? I think it's because, so I, I recently moved to California. I'm originally from North Dakota. We have fires there, but definitely not California wildfires. You know, they're a thing of its own. And I had family members back in North Dakota contacting me asking, how close are you to the fires? Where's this at? What is it like? And I struggled to find the words to explain what it was like. You know, I was saying go to the Sacramento Bee's website, like there's a lot of great reporters doing a lot of great stories, but I really struggled to explain, like on the phone with- You've just gotta see it. Yeah, you, you have to see it because explaining it, like putting it in words doesn't exactly do it in something of this magnitude. You know, you, you need to see it. You need to hear firsthand what it was like. Fires can happen really, really fast. And it used to be that we would think, oh, fires only happen out in, in the woods and you know they'll never come to us. But I mean, as we've seen the last couple of years, I mean, it, it can hit anybody and it can come 
from the forest all the way to the ocean side. Alyssa, thank you so much for producing this documentary for us, and thank you for coming on the show. It was yeah. great to have you. Thanks for having me. And we'll be right back. You're listening to California Nation. We're back here on California Nation. I'm your host, Brian Anderson. In exactly one month, the state's struggling Republican Party will pick a new leader. There are three candidates, but two of them are expected to have a fierce fight at the party's annual convention. Jessica Patterson is the CEO of California Trailblazers, an organization that aims to help elect Republicans. She announced her candidacy earlier this month and has already received the support of many prominent Republicans, including House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. Most Republicans in the California legislature also support her campaign. But we're here today with the other candidate, Travis Allen. He finished his assembly term last year and is now looking to align the California GOP more closely with President Donald Trump. This comes at a time when a blue wave swept across California in the 2018 midterms, giving Democrats their biggest legislative advantages in decades. Many people fear an embrace of Trump will only hurt the party going forward. It could also make Republicans more vulnerable in the upcoming 2020 elections. So why should California Republicans support Trump? And how does Allen plan to get the party back on track? He joined me in the Beast Capital Bureau on Tuesday to talk about his vision for Republicans. Mr. Allen, thanks for coming on the show. It's great to have you. Thanks so much for having me. So let's start off by talking about the chairman's race. That's the position you're running for. Can you describe your vision for the Republican Party? Very simply, the California Republican Party has all but disappeared across the state of California due to the ineptitude of the establishment that has been running the California Republican Party. This party is now the weakest it's been since the 1880s in California. So to understand, we now no longer have any of the top spots across the state government. We only have one statewide officer and that's one person on the Board of Equalization. There is a mega minority of Republicans in both the Senate and the Assembly. That means it's 75% Democrat. And in addition, of the 53 congressmen in California, only seven are now Republican. Republicans were wiped out in the last election cycle. And very simply, this is because the leadership of the California Republican Party for years has not focused on doing the things that will bring the Republican Party back to prominence. And what are those things that will bring the party back to prominence? Simple things like voter registration. You know, we used to have registration that was in the high 30 percent even just 20 years ago. Now we're at 24 percent statewide registration. Our volunteer network and our grassroots precinct operations have been left entirely to atrophy and disappear. Well, I get the problems can run on and on. What are the solutions? How do you turn this around? The solution is very simple. Californians deserve a viable two-party system in their state. Every Californian, regardless of whether you're a Democrat or Republican, wants to hear both sides of the story. They want to make sure that everyone has a seat at the table. And in today's California, there is only one political party that dominates the political discourse, and that is the California Democrats. Californians deserve a strong, viable Republican Party. What we are going to do is rebuild the party from the ground up by Republicans for Republicans, a party based on Republican values, Republican ideals, and you better believe supporting the Republican president. So we have a lot to unpack there. Let's start with 2018, not going back to 2016. We know the outcome of that presidential election. Mm -hmm. Let's look back at the midterms and the takeaways. So you have the largest assembly advantage in 135 years now with three-fourths Democratic control. You have the largest... Senate advantage in over 50 years. And it seems that a large factor in helping Democrats is 
this resistance toward President Trump. And I think that's mobilizing a lot of people from just talking to people on the ground. Why should Republicans align closer to the president, given that they've hurt him in the midterms? We've actually seen the exact opposite. That's the narrative that the mainstream media and the Democrat Party is trying to put out there, that somehow you know this, this president, this Republican president, Donald Trump, who enjoys the highest approval ratings of any Republican president in decades, is somehow anathema to California voters. This goes along with the thought process that California Republicans are somehow less Republican than, than Republicans around the country. Nothing could be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, when the California Republican Party was more conservative, and we had people like Bill Dannemeyer and George Duke Majin, California Republicans dominated the political landscape. We not only had Republican governors, we were sending Ronald Reagan to the White House. The answer is very simple. California has more Republicans than any other state. We have five million Republicans and millions more of independents that will vote conservative and for conservative values if they're given the right candidates. What the Republican Party needs to do is focus on exactly who and what it is, our values, our ideals, and yes, support our Republican president. This will inspire the confidence across the state to finally bring the Republican Party back to the footing that it should have in California as the dominant political party. To push back on it just a little, it's not just Democrats and, as you put it, mainstream media pointing this out. I spoke with Republican political consultant Mike Madrid, who's a little bit disillusioned with his party right now, and he said that uh, Republicans must declare that they're uh, not supporters of Donald Trump. You have to say what you're against before you can say what you're for. And that's out of a Republican's mouth. Your response to that? Mike Madrid is not really a California Republican any longer. Let's be very clear. In the latest governor's race, Mike Madrid was a consultant to Antonio Villaraigosa, the Democrat challenger for the governor's race. Well, Kristen, I, the list could go no, on. No, no, Kristen actually, Olson's criticized I, I, I'm so glad that you, I'm Chad so glad you bring this up. has criticized the president. I love that you're bringing all of this up. Those three people, Mike Madrid, Chad Mays, Kristen Olson, as well as the new person trying to run now to be the chairman of the Republican Party, Jessica Patterson, they are all aligned with this Republican establishment that has led our party to almost complete irrelevancy in our state. They are the Republicans that are telling you that the Republican Party is dead. They're the Republicans that are telling you that Republicans must look and sound more like California Democrats to be viable in our state, to essentially be Republican light. This sort of backward thinking is a failed strategy that has taken us from dominance in the California Assembly in 1994 to nearly complete irrelevance in a supermajority in 2018. You take a look at Chad Mays. Chad Mays has openly talked about leaving the Republican Party and creating another political party. You talk about Mike Madrid. Mike Madrid is now a consultant to leading Democrats across the state. And then you take a look at Kristen Olson, the former Republican leader. She actually ripped up her pledge to Californians to never raise their taxes very famously. So these are three people that are very indicative of the problems at the top of the Republican Party establishment. The Republican Party has been led by people that do not reflect the Republican values of Republicans across California. And this sort of identity crisis has exactly led to the deterioration of the Republican Party. This is what I am running to change. This is why we must rebuild the Republican Party from the ground up with Republicans across the state of California built by Republicans and for Republicans and standing strong for our Republican values. But do California Republicans like the president? Absolutely. Why? 100%. Why? Very simply, the president stands for everything that, that Republicans believe in and have been fighting for. Very simple things like common sense, 
like the rule of law, like the U.S. Constitution. You look at the current fight where Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer have shut down the government because they simply refuse to secure our southern border. Trump has said he would take ownership of the shutdown in a meeting. Listen, you know, <laughs> Trump's a great negotiator, and, and he's willing to do nearly whatever it takes to get the government open again. However, he does not want to allow our country to have an open southern border, as the California Democrats do, as well as the, the National Democrats. This is exactly the issue. Trump is actually willing to stand up and fight for the things that Americans believe in. And what's very important to note is that this president enjoys the largest approval, the highest approval rating in decades of any Republican president. Beyond that, his policies have directly led to the lowest unemployment for almost every group that you could possibly imagine. Lowest unemployment in decades for women, African-Americans, Latinos, and that is combined with real wage growth. So it's not just that people are working again, they're working and they're making more money. Past that, he's renegotiated trade deals around the world and finally rebuilt our American military. This is a great American president, and it's about time that the Republican Party in California stands behind its Republican president. I, want, I have a thesis, and I'm curious if you would accept or reject it. Okay. For California Republicans to return to a viable path forward, there needs to be uh, an expansion beyond the base of Trump supporters. That's not enough to win It's got to be a big tent. Yes. It's got to be a big tent. A lot of your messaging seems to be against what you call the establishment and in favor of sort of the Trump base or, or harder, more loyalist to him. Do you worry that you're turning off other people from feeling involved in the Republican Party by going toward the base? A absolutely not. So I think it, what's important to understand is we are not talking about shrinking the Republican Party. We're talking about expanding the Republican Party by ensuring that the identity of the Republican Party is rock solid, that it's firm. We believe in Republican values, Republican ideals, and yes, we support our Republican president. It's important to note that there is room in the Republican Party for everyone. There's room for conservatives, there's room for moderates, there's room for people that love the president and people that hate the president. Very simply, if you believe in Republican values of better schools, less traffic, lower taxes, you know, safer communities, if, if strong U.S. families, you know, securing our border and finally getting a handle on illegal immigration, stopping election fraud, if you agree with any of these issues, you're very likely a Republican and come on in, welcome to the party. That is the message that the California Republican Party represents every California citizen that believes in common sense. And I have one more Trump question for you. And this is a March 7th, 2018 tweet from you. And it says, Jerry Brown proves again why he is the laughing stock of the nation, saying real Don Trump is, quote, going to war with California is almost as delusional as the Attorney General Javier Becerra respecting the law and constitution. <laughs> California Dems learning the hard way that justice is coming to California. Are you pushing back that Trump and California are at war with each other? Oh, yeah, look, it's, it's very clear. You know, the Democrats have this sort of complex with the president. And you can see it, you know, it's with... Uh, it's been with Jerry Brown, it's with Gavin Newsom, it's with Kamala Harris, it's with you know Javier Becerra. This was at a time when Javier Becerra told California business owners that if you cooperate with federal immigration authorities doing their constitutional duty, that he will send you to jail. He will literally sue you and, and try to prosecute you. This is the issue. So we have these rogue, lawless, radical Democrats running the state of California. They are doing unconstitutional things, and finally we have a president that's pushing back. Now, they want to characterize this as, you know, Trump going to war with California, but it's actually the exact other way around. So it wildfire is, funding. When he threatened to pull wildfire funding, you had 
Senator Jim Nielsen, and uh, you had Assemblyman uh, James Gallagher come out strongly against that tweet where the president threatened to pull wildfire funding. I feel like that's that would be an example of going to war with California, would it not? No, no. I mean, if you take a look, you know, to continue the previous answer, the war that, that is going on with D.C. is actually coming from Sacramento and San Francisco, pushing across the state to, to Washington, D.C. and the White House. You know, Trump simply wants what's best for ordinary Californians. And when you take a look at the wildfires, this is a perfect example. You take a look at the, at the North State, there was 139 million dead trees on the ground. They were try, we, we tried to clear these out. You know, groups continued to push for clearing out our, our forests because this was only going to be kindling. Much of which for, is controlled by the federal government. Well, but here's the problem. Much of this would have been kindling for these recent devastating wildfires we saw, which were at a historic precedent. However, the extreme environmentalist groups were the exact groups, these are funded by the Democrats, that were blocking our efforts to actually do responsible wildlife management, wildfire management in these areas. This is why we didn't clear out 139 million dead trees. And this is why entire regions like Eureka and all of the other regions were devastated so badly uh, by these fires. Like, excuse me, like paradise. Sure. Yeah. And as, as far as the chairman's race, that's exactly a month from now mm -hmm. on February 24th when this will come out. What is going to happen in the next month to put you over the edge and what's your confidence level? We see Steve Frank, Jessica Patterson are your two opponents right now. What's your confidence level? What's it gonna to take to win? We're very confident and it's for a very simple reason. California Republicans see the results. They understand that the political establishment has sold them out and the results are there for everybody to see. Look, the, the powers that have been controlling the California Republican Party, the, we're talking about a handful of billionaires and special interest groups that have been running the whole show for California Republicans have failed miserably. They have lost us race after race and taken us to near complete irrelevancy across the state of California. At the same time, they've entirely allowed our volunteer organizations to atrophy and die. And this is the problem. California Republicans say, what is my California Republican Party doing for me? I don't see it fighting. I see what Gavin Newsom's doing. He's trying to give us a brand new water tax. And I see these crazy wildfires and nothing's being done about it. And I hear that we just got the gas tax and now Gavin Newsom wants to make us a sanctuary state and have open borders. And they, they say, where is our party? Why isn't our party fighting against us? So Jessica Patterson got the backing of McCarthy mm -hmm. uh, and she's got the backing of 13 of your former colleagues in the assembly and six in the Senate side. That's about two thirds of the Republican control of the legislature siding with her. Mm -hmm. Why are your own former colleagues not happy with you? Look, it's not that. This is actually the power of the swamp in California. You know, very simply, this is the power of the establishment. And, and these are, a lot of these people are, are wonderful people and they're my friends. But the difficulty is, is that the establishment has a lot of levers of control. They have the funding of all of the special interests and the billionaires that have for years been running our party into the ground. Do you have the support of any or endorsements of any lawmakers? Oh yes, absolutely, yes. Which ones? Uh, well, we've already announced uh, one of one of the big ones was Senator Jeff Stone. We have a number of others that we have not announced yet, but yes, we will come out. Any in the assembly? Any oh, of yes. your former colleagues? Absolutely. There's absolutely. going to be some. Yes, yes, there are. There <laughs> okay. Are. We'll, we'll, we'll announce them. It's, it's uh, Dr. Stephen Choi and there are many others. And those announcements have not been made public yet, so you're the first to hear them right here on the podcast. <laughs> I appreciate so, yeah, that. So there, yeah, there will be there will be plenty. But it's not just the leaders of the Senate and the assembly side. You still have a large chunk of 
other people who aren't supporting your campaign. Well, if you take a look, you know, all of these things tie together very clearly. You know, once a legislator comes up to Sacramento, the majority of fundraising comes from the special interest for almost every single legislator that's up here of both political parties. And this is the problem. The problem in today's Republican Party is it has been run by a select few, and they have run our party into the ground. And many of these people are great people, and they're well-intentioned. The problem is, is the results don't speak for themselves. To give you an example, Jessica Patterson ran a program called Trailblazers. She was a CEO of it from 2011 to today. Its only mission was to elect more Republican legislators in the state of California. Since it started, we have lost 12 legislative seats. So it's been an abject failure. Can you bring up a very essential important point of what the role of the chairman is, is to have a lot of money come into the party? Oh, yes. Do you worry that by going so hard against the establishment that you're going to be putting the party on a pathway to bankruptcy since they're not going to be wanting to donate? Absolutely not. Look, how, this, how are you going to get the money in? Uh, very simple. Two things. First, there's a big misconception that you know the special interests or the billionaires won't play with the Republican Party regardless of who the chairman is. For them, it is a transaction. The Republican Party is simply a vehicle to attain their ends. The problem is, is those objectives don't always align with California Republicans or even you know all of California as a whole. But they will continue to use the Republican Party as long as it is a, is a viable institution, and it clearly will be. But the strength will of it the, clearly be though? Oh, absolutely, and I'll tell you why. Five million Republicans. We have more Republicans than any other state in the nation. The strength of our party is not in a handful of special interests. To give you an example, in Trailblazers, they have about 55 unique donors in the last seven years. We have a state of 40 million people, and you have 55 people calling the shots. This is not right. We have. California Republicans across state that are willing to help out the Republican Party. I, when I come to the table, I don't come empty-handed. I bring more donors than any other statewide elected official or former statewide elected official at the moment. I have over 20,000 individual donors, average donation size of $36 or more. My plan is very simple. It's called the California 100,000. You take $10 a month from 100,000 Californians, that's a million dollars a month, over a two-year cycle, 24 million, or a 70% increase to our current budget of $36 billion. You put every one of those dollars into voter registration across the state of California using a bounty program which empowers every single California Republican to go and register more Republicans and get their organizations paid so they can expand their operations. This is exactly what the Democrats have done for the last 30 years, which is why they've been beating the Republicans. This is how you raise money in California. The special interest, they'll always be there because the party is just a transaction for them. But the true strength of the Republican Party is the base. The true strength of the Republican Party is the California Republicans. And we must give them a chance to have their voice heard because ultimately, if we want to change the state and have two parties at the table and finally get a Republican governor or a Republican president coming out of California again, we're going to need a strong Republican Party that is built from the ground up by Republicans and for Republicans. Are, has Have we hit the floor for the Republican Party? I'll Will tell things you. get worse in yeah. 2020? I'll tell you right now. When Travis Allen is your next Republican Party chairman, this will be the very worst, and it will only go up from here. This is a race for the future of the California Republican Party. If we get this right, if we win this election, we will entirely turn around the California Party. We will compete in 2020. We will be able to be in a part of the process of redistricting in 2020 when they redraw all of the lines across the state of California, and Republicans will be on a solid footing to win once again in California. This is a very simple race. If the Republican establishment gets their way, you will see declining relevancy of Republicans, and there probably won't be a Republican statewide elected officer for a decade or longer. 
I will tell you right now, if the Republican Party is able to rebuild itself from the ground up with inspiring, bold new leadership that brings new people into the party, not just Republicans that have not been voting, but independents and even Democrats that believe in Republican common sense ideals, I will tell you right now that the best days of the California Republican Party are right in front of us. Assemblyman Allen, thank you so much for coming in, taking the time. We really do appreciate having you. It's my pleasure. Let's go take back our state. And we'll be right back. You're listening to California Nation. About 15 minutes into our show two weeks ago, we had a problem with the audio that lasted two minutes. This error occurred in the editing process, and I was heard talking over my interview with California Congressman Adam Schiff. The B regrets the error, and I apologize for the mistake. We heard from a few listeners about it, and rather than delete the entire episode and re-record it since many of you already heard it, we decided to re-air the full, unedited interview for you today in place of our Buzz of the Week segment. We'll be back in your feed with a new episode in a couple weeks. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to California Nation on your podcast feed and leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people like you find our show. Word of mouth also helps. If you have something you can't get off your mind, give us a call at 916-326-5538 for a chance to appear on our next podcast. Until next time, I'm Brian Anderson. Here's my full conversation with Congressman Schiff. Welcome back to California Nation. We're here with Congressman Adam Schiff, who leads the House Intelligence Committee, which will have a lot of work to do in the, the coming months into the investigation into President Donald Trump. Congressman Schiff, thanks for taking the time and coming on. You bet. It's great to be with you. So uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, the the ongoing investigation into the president. Can you just sort of reiterate how close you think we are to an end of the process as it relates to Special Counsel Mueller? It's very difficult to say. Uh, the Special Counsel apparently just sought a six-month extension of the grand jury. Uh, that would indicate it's very possible more indictments are coming. Uh, but there are a number of issues the Special Counsel may be looking at. Uh, the obstruction of justice issue uh, probably has a finite number of witnesses, a uh, finite number of acts of the president, although he continues, it seems, to add to those acts of attempted obstruction. Um, but the one witness he has not interviewed is the president of the United States, uh, and that may determine how long the investigation goes on if the special counsel decides that he needs to subpoena the president. Uh, the challenge with that, of course, is that the acting attorney general is hostile to the investigation, may not approve such a, a subpoena, uh, and that may be necessary for Bob to overcome. But uh, the other main aspects of the investigation that deal with allegations of collusion or conspiracy um, have a number of different threads. And how far along he is in those investigations, how much more work there is to be done, uh, it is very difficult to say. Uh, we just saw today the Supreme Court evidently decided a case that is under seal. Uh, in fact, it, involving a foreign corporation uh, and its efforts to avoid giving documents to special counsel. That fight undoubtedly ate up time in the investigation. Uh, and now with the benefit of that order, um, that may facilitate uh, you know, the, the advancement of the investigation. So it's very hard to, to see. A lot of what we know is redacted, quite literally redacted, uh, from these pleadings. Uh, but the length of the redactions... Um, indicate that uh, there was certainly more work going on by the special counsel. 
And I just had one more question on this line, then I kind of want to transition to, to the, the shutdown that we're experiencing. Where do you see the line between, like, the legitimate function of the House and checking the president versus, uh, like, a, a fishing expedition? How do you counterbalance the perception people can have that you're going after the president because you don't like him versus the legitimacy of the investigation? Well, first of all, we've had two years in which the Republican majority in Congress did no oversight whatsoever. Um, and so what we have had is a complete abdication of responsibility, complete abdication of uh, Congress's role as a co-equal branch to oversee the administration. Uh, and the first hearing that we have, the first uh, subpoena that's issued, the president will think is too much oversight. So you can anticipate any oversight at all is going to be labeled by the president as a fishing expedition, a witch hunt, uh, and presidential harassment. Um, sadly, he's gotten used to no, uh, no will on the part of Congress to stand up to him anyway, and so that's going to be a rude awakening. The fact of the matter is, though, there are a great many deeply important questions that have been raised, deeply important allegations of corruption and malfeasance that need to be investigated, uh, and issues that need to be overseen. Now, some of those are very generic. Uh, why do we continue to pay such high prices for prescription drugs? That's something the Government Reform Committee is going to look into. Um, other issues, um, the President was privately meeting with the Postmaster General in an effort to browbeat the Postmaster to raise postal rates on Amazon. Now, is this because the President has some interest in postal rates? I doubt it. Uh, or is this an effort <laughs> by the President to punish Jeff Bezos and the Washington Post. Um, these and other areas are quintessential government oversight. Uh, and he can call it what he likes, but uh, it has to be done to protect our institutions. It has to be done to protect our country. Uh, and in the Intelligence uh, Committee, uh, we need to determine whether a foreign hostile power has leverage over the President of the United States such that it warps our foreign policy. So the work is going to have to get done, whether he likes it or not, and whatever he chooses to call it. Uh, we have to be careful and make sure that we are thoughtful about the oversight we do and circumspect about it, that we prioritize. We're not going to be able to look into every issue that concerns us, and we're going to have to take the most important first. And we're here again with Congressman Adam Schiff talking about the ongoing investigations into the president. And now I wanted to transition into uh, sort of the economic worries that we're, we're seeing in the state. I mean, with, with a shutdown, we're waiting on Trump. To, to give a speech tonight, what will you do if the president declares a state of emergency and and tries to build the wall through that declaration? Well, we're told um, that he's not going to be declaring an emergency in the speech, but but who knows? Uh, this is president, uh, we were told at one point, who agreed to keep the government open, but then was subject to criticism from Rush Limbaugh and Ann Coulter and, uh, and was cowed. Uh, into shutting down the government, uh, and here we are with hundreds of thousands of people furloughed, uh, people going without a paycheck, uh, and many people doing business with the government or seeking to do business with the government or simply avail themselves of services of the government who are unable to do it because of this completely unnecessary shutdown. Um, he does not have the power to declare an emergency to build a wall simply because Congress won't give him the, the funds for something that he wants. That is uh, not something the American people want and not something he has the votes for in Congress. That is not how you define an emergency. Uh, if President Harry Truman during the Korean War uh, couldn't, through a declaration of emergency, nationalize steel mills, 
uh, to overcome uh, labor unrest uh, and steel production, um, then certainly this president uh, cannot declare an emergency to build a wall that the president won't approve. So, so, so what's, the, what, what's the exit strategy to this shutdown, if any? Do you, do you foresee any end in sight, and what would cause Trump to cave? Well, the president painted himself in a corner with this, uh, with no exit strategy, and it's going to be up to the president to get himself out of his own corner. Uh, for uh, months and months, indeed years now, the president has been promising American taxpayers they're not going to pay for any wall. Mexico was going to pay for the wall. Now, of course, that was a fraud to begin with, um, and now the president wants to stick taxpayers with the bill for this concrete monument to himself or steel monument to himself, uh, and uh, not surprising, the American people aren't buying it, and neither is Congress. So he's going to need to figure out his own way out. Uh, but here's the thing. We cannot reward this kind of uh, tactic, uh, which was really modernized by the Tea Party. Uh, the Tea Party some years ago adopted the tactic, if you don't give us what we want, if you don't give us what we don't have the votes for, then we will either default on the national debt or we'll shut the government down. Uh, and ever since we have lurched from crisis to crisis and potential shutdown to potential shutdown, we have to stop operating this way. And I'm confident of one thing. Uh, if we placate the president in any way, shape, or form, we can expect he's going to do this whenever he doesn't get his way. Uh, and we simply can't operate along those lines. But but in the meantime, millions of California, oh, millions of Americans and, and lots of Californians among them uh, who are federal workers could be strongly affected by this and, and might just want the Democratic Party to provide some sort of funding for, for border security or for a wall just to to resolve this. Is there any pathway in which you see uh, Democrats taking, taking just conceding and, and giving him money? You know, we have offered um, in the past and currently – uh, billions are for border security, and we've offered uh, a billion and a half dollars more for border security. Ironically, um, the border security funding that we gave the president last year, he hasn't even used fully. Uh, there's a great uh, amount of uh, existing funding that still hasn't been used, and it shows what a what a fallacy, what a uh, conjured up emergency this is. That the border security funding we've already given the president, he hasn't fully used. Uh, and we've offered him even more on top of that. So um, we have been sending him uh, now bill after bill that have been passed by Republican Senate committees and by the, the Republicans in the Senate. Uh, that, to me, is a great sacrifice because those bills don't reflect the priorities of the House level and House Democrats in an effort to get the government open. And we're going to be sending uh, additional bills to reopen the government. So we're doing what, our, what we can. Uh, but what we're not willing to do is we're not willing to waste $5 billion on a wall uh, that the experts tell us is not going to be effective, is not what's called for. Uh, if we're serious about dealing with uh, drug smuggling, uh, then we need to recognize that most of the drugs that are smuggled in this country are smuggled through lawful ports of entry. They're not smuggled in between ports of entry. Um, but uh, uh, we just can't. Uh, reward this kind of tactic, or we're going to see it used over and over and over again. And you're a representative from a state that's very resistant to the president's policies, and the president has been very critical of California as well. You look at the wildfires as, as one sort of example of criticizing California's forest management for that. 
Why do you feel the president is criticizing California, and do you see this as a, a possible tactic to, to sort of mobilize the base? I think the president really views the country um, as those uh, states that were with him and those that were against him. Now, this is, uh, you know, among the most vindictive of presidents. Uh, Nixon, I'm told, was, had a vindictive quality to him. Uh, I didn't serve at a time when he was in office. So I'm not as good a position to tell, but uh, in much of what this president does, there seems to be a vindictive quality about it. I think the tax bill, for example, was among the first vindictive tax bills, uh, where the elimination of state and local taxes was done to punish the blue states um, that uh, rely on higher taxes to serve their constituents and have taken advantage and been able to derive the benefit from the state and local tax deduction. So the president decided this is a good way to punish those blue states and reward the red states. Uh, and we've seen that through other policies as well, uh, an effort to single out California's air quality standards or uh, the drilling uh, on the California coast. And, of course, uh, when he announced that we would be drilling off the coasts of the United States, he quickly decided, uh, along with the Secretary of Interior, to make exception for Florida because that was the state that was with him, and California was the state that was against him. So time after time, we, we see this kind of addictive political uh, characteristic, and uh, I think it's deeply destructive of our union and only further uh, builds these divisions uh, between different regions. And I had a couple final questions. I, I know looking ahead to the future, uh, we're in campaign mode potentially for the, the 2020 election, and your name has come up, do you have any presidential ambitions, or if not, do you have any particular potential candidates that you like at this time? Well, you know, it's nice to be asked the question, and I have to say uh, my sole focus right now is on conducting the investigation and conducting the work of the Intelligence Committee. I would never say never, but I've got a pretty full day job uh, without uh, – uh, adding the additional burden of lots of trips out to Iowa and New Hampshire, lovely as those places are. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to keep my focus on the investigation. And in terms of uh, other people who are running right now, um, I am going to be keeping my eyes open and, uh, like I think much of the country, um, keeping my counsel private until I have a better sense of uh, where I think we ought to go and, and who's the strongest to take on Donald Trump. Um, have you completely ruled out 2020 personally? Uh, you know, honestly, it's difficult for me to think uh, anything beyond the job I have on my plate right now with the Intel uh, Committee. So uh, that's where I'm going to put all my focus, and uh, and I'll leave those questions for another day. And, and just finally, California had was sort of the epicenter of of the blue wave in, in the midterms, and you saw Orange County sweep for congressional candidates. Uh, you saw a sweep of statewide contests, and you could the list could go on. Uh, what should Democrats be doing statewide in California and nationally to to uh, to capitalize on this power without maybe alienating independents or or Republicans who worry the state is is just a single party control? Well, there are a number of things that we should be doing. I, I think we should continue intensive voter registration efforts to make sure that uh, every Californian who is eligible to vote is registered and able to vote. 
Uh, I think we need to attack these voter disenfranchisement laws all around the country. Uh, it is just uh, appalling that we are taking these steps backward after it was so difficult to obtain the right to vote uh, for so many in this country that state legislatures in other parts of America are purposefully enacting laws to try to make it more difficult, in particular for people of color to vote. Uh, we should make Election Day a national holiday. We should you know, make it so that people don't have to choose between whether they go to the polls or whether they go to work. Um, we should, uh, in, in every way we can, uh, make registration automatic and expand the franchise. Uh, I was proud to see what Florida recently did in making it possible for people who have served time to be restored in their franchise. Uh, in every way that the GOP has sought to limit people's access, legitimate access to voting, we should be uh, expanding people's legitimate access to voting. It's good for democracy. Uh, it's good for our country. And uh, and so I think that should be a very high priority. Uh, one of our first bills in Congress, uh, and the, the first bill, uh, apart from those designed to reopen the government, uh, is one that would eliminate the gerrymander uh, so that the popular vote would always be reflected in the House of Representatives uh, so that Individuals pick their representatives and not representatives picking their voters. Uh, so these kind of reforms, I think, are really important and what we ought to focus on. Congressman Schiff, thank you so much for taking the time. It was great having you. Thank you. Great to be with you.